Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending of course on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, we are back again quicker than a flash after one race is gone, we're already getting ready for the next one. It's the Saudi Grand Prix this weekend, the Saudi Arabia I should say Grand Prix this weekend at Jeddah. It doesn't seem like it's been very, very long since we last there. And in fact, we it's not. It's not been a year. It's only been a few months. But of course, the Grand Prix has been moved to the very front of the calendar for this season. And we are very much ready to get stuck into another Grand Prix, especially after what we saw go down at the Bahrain Grand Prix. And joining me on this episode, as always, my co-hosts on the DNF1 team, we've got Courtney Pine and Lee Wannington once again. Courtney, I'm going to come to you first on this one. First of all, how are you doing? Are you okay? Doing well, mate. No complaints. Still getting over the amazing Grand Prix on Sunday. And it really has given me a lift about what this season could bring. Yes, certainly plenty of talking points from the first race so far. And certainly ones that are going to segue us very, very nicely into the second chapter of this very, very long Formula One season. This brand new era of Formula One racing, which has already served up plenty of treats for us. And we certainly hope that we've not been spoiled already in the first Grand Prix and that we're going to see plenty more of that in the second race this Grand Prix weekend. Lee, I'm going to come to you as well, of course. How are you doing and uh, are you ready for the next installment of F1 2022? Uh, I, I would mirror Courtney's comments. I'm I'm doing great, and it's just yeah, it's still the excitement of the last race is still still there, and it's just built the uh, the excitement for the next race and the rest of the season. And not that I'm wishing the year away, but <laughs> I just want to get stuck in already. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I hope you guys listening at home or watching us on YouTube, if you are, feel the same way. Uh, it seems quite a lot of you have expressed your content after the first Grand Prix, regardless of what affiliation you find yourself in or whether you're a neutral in Formula One. or That is a rare find these days, but 
all the same it's always great to have you along and if you do want to see more from us you can like this video and subscribe to the channel we really do appreciate that we've got huge aspirations for this season we'd love to have you on board if you are happy with what we're doing so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you are following us on youtube and if you're not and you're following us on your favorite podcasting platform that's absolutely fine we are also an audio based podcast like the tradition as well so definitely glad to have you on board but let's get right into the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix preview and there's plenty of stories as we've already alluded to that uh, leave us to suspect um, what well what could possibly go down this weekend following from the Bahrain Grand Prix and I think one that interests many people the most is what on earth happened to Red Bull at this point, we still don't have a definitive answer. There's been some theories going around saying that they were running less fuel in an attempt to try and get the weight down to fight against the Ferraris, which obviously wasn't successful. Um, there's been suspicions about uh, a spec part, the primer fuel pump, which, of course, the FIA have provided as a spec part to all of the teams. So it's not a performance part. It's not a part that one team turns up with and it hasn't worked out. Everyone has to run this part. And, uh, you know, in particular, we still don't really know what happened to Red Bull after that dramatic finale to the race where both of their cars within laps of each other retired with the very same problem, which ultimately prevented them from scoring a huge haul of points, one which might prevent them from achieving their championship aspirations towards the end of the season. We'll have to wait and see how that goes down. Um, Lee, I want to come to you first on this one. After such a disappointing uh, finish to the race for Red Bull and they're scratching their head and searching for answers based on what we've seen in the news the last couple of days do you have any suspicion as what might be causing this problem for Red Bull and is there a genuine fear that this could re-emerge in the Saudi Grand Prix and perhaps perhaps other Grand Prix for Red Bull as well well I think one of the uh the rumors that is uh, going around the the paddock at the moment is about the the new E10 fuels and the especially that the overheating in a low fuel situation um and maybe specific if that's the case maybe specifically it's the red bull uh fuel that they use or if it's all e10 fuels if that rumor is true is a completely different matter but obviously until red bull actually come out and say this was the issue nothing's going to be stop the rumors that are spreading yeah no very much so um i mean just to sort of add a little bit to uh, those rumours on the E10 fuel. I believe, if, if I'm right, I think I was watching a video, uh, Craig Scarborough uh, at Scarbs Tech. He, uh, you know, does some great stuff on F1 cars. There's pretty much what he doesn't know about F1 cars isn't really worth knowing. And he was doing an analysis on this and he suspects that if it is to do with the E10 fuels, it's more along the lines of that, particularly with this fuel primer pump, not necessarily the pump itself, but perhaps the E10 fuel as a substance doesn't necessarily react well with the pump. And after a certain amount of time throughout the race, of course, it caused those problems and eventually caused it to fail, which eventually led to both Red Bulls being out of the race. Now, if that is the case, the good news for Red Bull is that it shouldn't be a fairly difficult or timely problem to solve. They should be able to provide uh, or produce some sort of resin material which should be able to uh, if you like, not necessarily insulate, but coat that uh, spec part and allow them to carry on as normal without that hot problem happening in the future. Now, that's probably a best case scenario for them. However, they did even go as far, I think, um, as asking the FIA to sort of inspect this part to make sure that it wasn't damaged or faulty because I think it was McLaren 
that had this issue where they had to have an inspection and break curfew the night before the Grand Prix in order to get this sorted because they had some issues with this part. And based on what they found, they couldn't uh, conclusively say that there was any issue with the part that was supplied to them. So suppose for those of you out there that might suspect some sort of foul play from the FIA or perhaps a little bit of redemption for what happened in Abu Dhabi last season where they got very fortunate in one way and now the uh, fortune has paid them back in another, um, that's not the case from what we understand from what the FIA have done. So we can put that one to bed. Um, based on all of that, Courtney, uh, do you think Red Bull will be satisfied that if this is the situation or this is the problem, that this should be able to fix it relatively easy? Uh, I don't. I've, when it comes to reliability, I think there's always going to be paranoia because you think about the amount of points that they dropped. And if Ferrari continue the way they are, and they've got a tight battle on their hands, and obviously Mercedes could catch up. They can't afford to be leaving the Grand Prix with any points from either of their drivers. So I think they're going to be checking, double-checking, maybe even triple-checking um, every component on that engine going into Jeddah. But I, I'm still not convinced. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in, in Jeddah. Uh, if if anything, I think it's going to be one of the sort of biggest questions going into this race because obviously the Ferrari pace is going to be the first question. The second question is, is that Red Bull reliable? There's no denying how fast it is, but is that Red Bull reliable? That is the question we're all asking ourselves right now. Yeah, very much so. And you know, I think it kind of all stems from what we heard about what Red Bull were doing in testing because I was amazed when I heard this, but apparently Red Bull had not done a proper full race simulation at Bahrain. I'm not sure if they did one at the Catalonia test, although I suppose that wasn't really relevant because of what Red Bull added to the car in Bahrain. But they also did no ultra-light short runs as well. So there were some people saying that they couldn't get enough fuel to the engine um, which caused both of those engines to shut off towards the end of the race. Or some people were going as far as saying that um, that they were just running out of fuel. I mean, I don't really buy the running out of fuel theory purely because there was a safety car period for four laps after Gasly's engine went. Um, and, and that was an MGK UK issue. So it was completely different to what Red Bull had been dealing with, fortunately. But um, I, I don't really buy that at all, that Red Bull were trying to run ultralight to match Ferrari. Um I don't, I mean, based on what they saw, they might have been surprised by what Ferrari were producing, but I don't think they would have gone to those lengths. And, you know, for both cars to retire under the circumstances, that would make absolutely no sense why they would do that. And they'd know if they were running out of fuel long before it actually happened and be able to compensate for it. So I don't really buy that. But um, it certainly does beg questions for Red Bull. And it's something that they need to get on top of very, very quickly because, you know, we're entering into a new era now where so far it's been relatively successful. We don't seem to have an outright dominant team. Of course, for you know, Ferrari finished one and two, but I think it would be quite a stretch to say that we could potentially enter a year like we did in 2016 with Mercedes or 2014, if you like, with Mercedes, uh, you know, lack of comparison. Um, it, it does feel that right now Red Bull need to get on top of their reliability issues to prevent losing any further ground. So... You know, with all that being said right now, um, do either of you feel that there's any doubt in your mind that Red Bull could potentially be plagued by these reliability issues um, long term? Possibly. Yeah, given that the cars have gone through so many changes this year, I, you wouldn't be surprised to see reliability issues of any of the teams. But the fact that it happened to both of the Red Bull cars and even the thing with the Alpha Tauri, yeah, it was a, a separate issue. 
that can happen to any team. But if you're if you're working for that Honda or Red Bull powertrains, you're gonna, you're going to be sweating a lot going into this weekend because no matter how confident in you are in your ability and go, no, this is this is this is safe. This will work because of what happened in the last race. There's always going to be that seed of doubt in their mind. So, as I said, I think it's something to really keep an eye on. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I think it's something that they'll have to try and get on top of very, very quickly because it's such a quick turnaround in the early stages of this season. Um, on the subject of the racing, I think one thing that was actually really, really good to see was even though Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc were going hammer and tons at each other, particularly after the first stint where they found each other on circuit, there seemed to be quite a lot of respect for each other in the way that they raced each other. I know it's very easy to say and, and point you know, what, what isn't there that was last year. And obviously that's ludicrous to suggest that, you know, it just, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that we tried to, um, or we expected perhaps a bit more fireworks between the two when they were coming together, but we didn't really get that. Um, we did get one moment where Charles completely shut the door on Max Verstappen and you could argue to a, to a degree that um, the way that Charles drove, that he kind of schooled him a little bit which is, you know, it might have been a bit of a push to say, but based on what we saw, it was actually quite refreshing to see a, a new challenger in this battle. Um, Lee, do you expect that to continue uh, for long if Charles Leclerc regularly gets uh, the better of Max Verstappen? Do you think that that level of respect will continue or do you think Max will start to get the elbows out a bit more in the same way that he was against Lewis Hamilton last season? I would, uh, I would expect that Max being Max the elbows will come out, the aggressiveness will kick up. You saw how frustrated he was through the race that he couldn't get past Charles. And he'll be going into um, Jeddah with that frustration. And if he ends up behind Charles Leclerc, he will be making even uh, more of an effort to get past than he did because he'd be kicking himself. Although Red Bull, even Christian Horner said there was no way he could have got ahead if he pushed as much as Max wanted to, he would still be going... I could have done it. I could have done it. The Red Bull were wrong. I could have done it. And he will be trying even harder to get past Charles if he's the similar situation is found in, in Jeddah. So Max is an aggressive attacking driver. And the first race of the season, you may say, oh, you're just getting the dust off the winter break. But I fully expect any dust that they would have, and saying they're very little dust because they are all professional um, sportsmen, I fully expect Max to be. Uh, aggressive elbows out for this weekend yeah very much so and I think we should also mention that uh, that this is going to be a big weekend for Sergio Perez as well because of course he was very disappointed and very uh, uh, upset over what happened he seemed to drive a very solid racer he'll be hoping to uh, have a better weekend this weekend and to try and maybe get on the podium or maybe a bit more than that but um, while we're talking about them on the subject of Ferrari I think it's very very easy to say based on what we saw in the first weekend that Ferrari came into this championship with a lot of hope and a lot of expectation, perhaps that they put on themselves and for what people outside looking in were thinking that, you know, is this Ferrari going to be the real deal? And based on what we saw in the first race, it certainly looks very, very positive for them. Um, now that Ferrari have announced themselves into this era um, as potentially the team to beat, will they find themselves under a new pressure where that expectation starts to grow and grow race in, race out? And could that potentially start this weekend, Courtney? Well, if they do well here, I think that this is the other big question that we're all going to be asking ourselves. Now, we're going to Jeddah, a circuit, yet we know that there's a 
there are quite a lot of long straights, but there are some traditional street circuit style sections in Jeddah. If Ferrari excel in those street sections, then they've got an overall package there. So if they excel both Bahrain and Jeddah, the fans, the other teams, they're all going to be thinking, damn, these really are the team to beat. Because Red Bull, for example, have always excelled on street circuits traditionally. If, it's, if, if Ferrari get the better of them here, game on, 100%. Yeah, it certainly looks positive for them right now. I mean, you know, Matti Bonotto was obviously very, very happy about how things were going. He seemed a man relieved after all the pressure that's been put on him over the last few years to to finally see this all come to fruition as a project and for everybody there. And, and Ferrari, for lack of a better way of putting it, just seemed to have the perfect weekend. I think there was only one minor, minor hitch and that was on Charles Leclerc's first stop where one of the tyres was a bit slow going on. But other than that, they pretty much nailed it. I mean, Leclerc was majestic in the way that he drove. I can't really imagine that there were too many better performances he put in throughout his career. Maybe this is a sign of things to come now that he's in a championship, well, well race-winning car at the very, very least. We'll have to wait about the latter um, as the season goes on. But it seemed that Ferrari seemed to have all the boxes ticked. You know, they, they seemed ready, more ready than anybody else. They didn't really add any new parts to their car. The car that rolled out at Catalonia, minus some stuff they did to the floor to mitigate the porpoising issue that they had at Catalonia. Other than that, they were pretty much ready. And maybe that's what it was. You know, maybe that's what it was in particular, that Ferrari were able to run with that car quite a lot compared to some of the other teams who were adding parts to their car um, and, and perhaps will learn stuff about their car over the next few races that Ferrari already know about theirs, by which time Ferrari will know more about their own car. So there does seem to see there does seem to feel that Ferrari seem much more prepared, much readier for this championship and this new era than perhaps everybody else does. And it's starting to show on the track. So, I mean, I guess... What I'm trying to get at here is that um, it does seem right now, Lee, that even though it's not, I don't think it's fair to say Ferrari are the team to beat right now, but they certainly look the most prepared team um, and, and right now ahead on everyone in terms of what they know about their own car, which can only be a good thing for them. I, I definitely think they're probably the most prepared team. Even um, you take into account what happened last year, the other two big teams were in, in a tight championship battle. Ferrari had it's a bit tougher with McLaren at the beginning of the year, um, but they sorted out their car last year, and they didn't have to do too much to sort out their car. That was mainly the engine than the aero side of things. Um, so they could put a lot of their time and money, which we all know Ferrari has no money problems, into this year's car. On top of the the work they already done previously in 2019 into what would uh well, 2020 into yeah, 2019 to... I'm getting my dates confused. When was the car supposed to be out? 21. So, uh, yeah. 21, yeah. Yeah, so the, all the, the work they would have done through 2020 and even late 2019 into what would have been the 21-year car, which is now obviously now this year's car, they could have thrown the money out because it was before the um, the budget cap. And they've obviously been prepared, clear-minded. They've had their restructure and they're, all their boxes have been ticked in how it's coming about and all right, it's too early to say, but if we head to the European leg of the season and we've had three Ferrari wins, I mean, it's going to be uh, looking very ominous for the other teams. It's more Red Bull and Mercedes, that's for sure. 
Yeah, very much so. And I think a lot of it has been made on the Ferrari power unit. Now, of course, whilst we don't know um, the hierarchy for the power unit performance, I think what we saw in evidence at the Bahrain Grand Prix suggests that Ferrari, at the very, very least, are up there now with Honda and Mercedes. Some people going as far as saying that perhaps Ferrari have returned to the top of the power unit hierarchy as they were in 2019, albeit, from what we understand, this time it's legal. Um, I'm not suggesting it was illegal before, but of course, with the technical directives change, all the Ferrari-powered teams, including Ferrari, did seem to nosedive, which would imply that there was some level of wrongdoing or not exactly following the regulations as they were intended. Um, that all aside, it does look very, very encouraging for Ferrari so far. You know, we, we have to stress that this is one race. Um, we can't get carried away. I know I would love to get carried away, of course, as a Ferrari fan, as people would have watched this and listened to this last week, will we'll know. Um, but right now, things seem quite rosy. And, you know, when we were talking about the effectiveness of the power unit, I think one thing that people seem to point out quite a lot um, was that Ferrari seemed to be running with a lot more downforce than what Red Bull were doing, which allowed them to be faster in the, in, in the corners, particularly in the middle sector, which is where Charles Leclerc made up most of his time on Max Verstappen. And the original acceleration, or the initial acceleration, seemed to be very, very positive. So... And when we're going to a track like Saudi Arabia, we're going to see those engines really, really tested more and more and more. And I even heard some whispers from some people connected at Ferrari saying that they're going to unleash more of this power unit because they're gradually trying to test its reliability. So that seems to be great news for them if there's still more to come from this car. I mean, if that is the case, how concerned are their rivals going to be, Courtney? Again, very early doors, but if they do well, a circuit has completely different characteristics, then of course, I've, I, you know, you, you touched on it. Uh, you know, could we possibly be seeing Mercedes 2014 levels of dominance? It's possible. I do believe, though, that Red Bull will be closer given how traditionally, like, well, they do in street circuits. So, yeah, it, it, all, it all comes down to if Red Bull continue with their, you know, with the places they usually do well, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but I really do believe that if I rather get the better of Red Bull here, that is a massive statement for the rest of this championship. It's a frightening prospect. I, I think a lot of us expected Ferrari to make a leap forward. I don't think any of us expected them to be where they were. Or maybe themselves, they didn't expect this. But, you know, sometimes when you get it absolutely right, things just seem to go really well for you. And that's been a a tell of this turbo hybrid era, whether it's been Mercedes or more recently Red Bull last season. And and now perhaps Ferrari are going to do something similar. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we talked a lot about Charles Leclerc and how brilliantly he drove. He almost seemed to have the perfect weekend in terms of what he needed to do. It was a new, perhaps a, a new Charles Leclerc in a car that was allowed, that would allow him to do this and allow him to demonstrate that he could potentially have the credentials of fighting for this championship and being in a position where perhaps when he's under pressure he he makes the right calls he certainly looked like he was doing that when he was fighting Max Verstappen to the point where you couldn't really tell which one the world champion was it, it was quite refreshing to see um I want to talk about Carlos Sainz um if I may because I think we've said enough on Charles Leclerc already that I don't think we need to say really more on him for this episode but as far as Carlos Sainz is concerned he was quite disappointed not necessarily in the result. He was delighted with that. And, you know, to get a 1-2 for Ferrari, even though he was second, you know, he was very happy about that. But he was a bit disappointed in his own performance. He said, um, 
whilst he was at Ferrari he, uh, in this race, he felt it was the most difficult uh, race he'd had for Ferrari. And it seemed that he was more referring, not necessarily to the result, but the fact that he was quite some distance off of Charles Leclerc during the race. You know, in qualifying, he was very, very close to him. I think he was just over a tenth. Um, I think he was less than a hundredth of a second off of Verstappen to almost make it a Ferrari front row. But in the race, it's very easy to look at it and suggest that he was quite some way off Charles Leclerc. So, Lee, in your mind, what does Carlos Sainz need to do? Or do you think perhaps there's going to be more to come from him in this next race to perhaps put him closer to his teammate? I think there's definitely a lot more to come from Carlos um, in the coming races. You, if you refer back to him last year, although he was, um, he was the quickest to get used to the new Ferrari being in a new team, it took him several races to get the, the maximum out of that car with his driving style. And right, you, you could say Charles probably has more raw talent than Carlos. So Charles has got in that car and in the right circumstances. He's, he's got the potential and he's happy with it. But Carlos, I think, needs to build more up to unlocking and his own confidence in the car. Um, and I think it would take a couple of races just to feel that level of confidence is that set up and understanding the car to deliver the performances that over a race distance will put him very close to Charles level performance. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I mean, whilst I think that Charles, the ceiling of performance is much higher for him than Carlos Sainz. And this is more over race pace rather than one lap. Cause I think Carlos Sainz has evidently proven um, in the last 18 months or so that, or you know, however long it is that he can most of the time get very very close to Leclerc and, and on occasion beat him so it's not a case of you know he's not quick he's definitely quick but um I think one thing I noticed that was different between the two that perhaps I only really saw this this season or perhaps it's a, a, a nature of these new cars is that Carlos Sainz seemed to be driving quite methodically the way that he usually does you know the smooth operator all jokes but he does tend to have that smooth driving style which you know can be quick in Formula One but depending on the car, sometimes you need to be a little bit more busier. And then you compare that to Charles Leclerc, who was very busy. I, I don't know if you guys noticed on some of the onboards that we had from Charles, the driver's eye view, if you like. He was very busy in that cockpit. And perhaps it does seem that whilst this Ferrari is a very, very easy car to drive in terms of driving um, style, it does seem to favour a driver that perhaps is able to get a bit more out of it if they're a bit more busier in the car and changing stuff all the time. Courtney, do you feel that perhaps that's something that Carlos might need to learn and consider in terms of his own driving style to try and be a little bit more busier like Charles is in order to extract those one or two temps every other lap, which adds up to quite a margin over a race distance? We're only one race in. Uh, it's, it's important to remember that... Not only the teams, but the drivers are learning so much about these cars. It's, it's not just a, a new season, it's a whole new era. And these teams are going to be learning so much about the perfect setups, not only for the teams themselves, but for the drivers individually. We've seen it in the past where, you know, certain cars do suit uh, drivers compared to their teammates. But we're still learning a lot about these cars. So there, there might be there might be a place for Carlos to... Find, find that fine-tuning in a car that suits him. And I'd like to go back to the original point. The fact that Carlos Sainz said that about himself, that he wasn't happy with his own performance to, despite the result, that's a good sign. That shows a good mindset that, and, you know, that he's determined to 
win races. And if that car's a championship contender, he wants to be in a race for that championship. These drivers with that mindset, these are the drivers that you want driving for your team. So I think it's another reason why Ferrari should be happy with how things are going. And why Carlos Sainz was such a good sign. We saw what he did for McLaren. And it's that mindset that he had, which helped McLaren get back to the level that they're now at. We'll, we'll see how it goes this season. But how they got to, um, to last season, Carlos Sainz was a big part of that. And I just think it's, it's not just down the raw pace. It's the mindset. It's the mentality that you need to have if you want to be number one. And Carlos Sainz does have that in his armoury. Mm. You know, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, you can use another example like last season, how close Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton tended to be over one lap and then over a race distance. It was literally night and day. Um, you know, there was no contest. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Carlos acknowledges this and he obviously doesn't want uh, Charles to get too far away from him. Um, and, it, and it's one of those where you look back on the race and you think, you know what, maybe he has a point. Because as impressive as Charles was, Carlos did tend to find himself under pressure from Perez, who obviously was a driver that we expected to over the you know the nature of the race. But towards the latter stages, he had the Mercedes drivers behind him causing him problems. Um, and it was one of those where you think, well, if the Ferrari is that good, Carlos must be struggling a little bit. But, um, you know, it's still early days. As you said, Courtney, he's got a lot to learn with this car. It seems right now Charles Leclerc seems to be on top of things. And hopefully that means there's more to come from Carlos Sainz, which is obviously very encouraging news for Ferrari. Um, I, I want to move on to Mercedes, seeing as we briefly mentioned them. A lot has been said on the surprise that how far Mercedes were off the pace uh, I don't think any of us expected them to be as far off as they were, although Mercedes themselves did say quite emphatically that they were in a position where they may struggle to compete with the likes of Ferrari and Red Bull in the first few races of the season until they come to a point where they've gone on top of this uh, issue with their car, whether it's just the porpoise in or a few other parts as well, or maybe the engine as well. We'll have to wait and see um, whatever they can improve on the engine, I suppose, under the new regs. But it does seem that this is going to be quite a big thing or a big issue for Mercedes to solve. Um, a problem they find themselves, they've probably never been in this kind of position before since the turbo hybrid era started. It seems perhaps this is the furthest off they've been. So now that things have probably settled down a bit after the brilliant first result that they got, relatively speaking, um, how confident are you guys that Mercedes are going to be able to find out what this issue is and more importantly, find a solution to it, which allows them to return to the front of the field where they feel they belong? Without sounding like the, uh, a Lewis Hamilton biased fanboy, you know, the usual stuff you hear, I think they will. I'm not saying, oh, you know, oh, Mercedes are the best, you know, no one can stop them. They're going to like find answers in the next race or so. I don't know when they're going to find answers, but I think they will. And again, it just comes down to that mindset. I think, you know, during testing, when we saw how aggressively that car was porpoising, we knew there's going to be problems. We know that they've Mercedes have obviously made changes to their downfalls to limit the porpoising, which is obviously going to have effects on performance. We always knew that was going to be the case. But the mindset that Mercedes have, you think considering how they've, they're, they're pretty much used to winning, that mindset that they have, that they were so happy with that podium and, and they've just got this, it's, it's, it's confidence, it's not arrogance, because there's such a fine line between confidence and arrogance. 
But they're speaking in a way that they have that confidence and they're not being arrogant. They're like, you know, we will find the answers. We will find the answers. They're not saying, oh, yeah, well, we're, we're going to be back, you know. They're really going about it like the champions that they are. And I really do think that other teams, particularly particularly one team in particular, could learn a lot from Mercedes and how that team is managed. Yeah, I mean, I do like... I do like the work ethic and I do like the attitude where they always feel like they're learning from this. Sometimes I do feel that um, they lay it on a little bit thick. Um, but, the, you know, that, that, that I guess when you've got such a fan base like Mercedes do, I guess you ha- kind of have to, um, to, you know, to not kid everyone into thinking that they're doing cartwheels over getting a podium under the circumstances that they did. You know, that they're very well aware um, of the uphill task that they face. George Russell has said that he's not even sure if Mercedes will be able to find a solution to this in the short term. So we'll certainly have to wait and see on that one. Um, one of the issues that I am concerned about with Mercedes going into this Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is that because this is such a high-speed circuit and the porpoising issue that Mercedes have had have been played with probably more than anyone else does tend to happen particularly at high speed. Is there a risk that their performance could be hindered even more, Lee, at a circuit where they definitely need to be fast? Uh, I would say yes, is in the short answer. Um, I don't expect them to do very well um, due to the high-speed nature of Jeddah. Um, they're, they're, because they're going to have to ride, uh, their ride height is going to have to be relatively high, like it was in Bahrain, to obviously keep the car stable, which they're just going to shed time from their car. Um, Obviously, there, there are questions about the engine, which is obviously then another thing about the high-speed nature. And there are, there are I have um, read things about that they're potentially running the engine on a on a lower power because there's concerns about their reliability in the engine. Um, if that's the case, then that's not good. Um, but that was, that's just the rumor in itself. Obviously, uh, Toto avoided that question when he was asked if there's any issues with the engine. So. I'm sure they're aware of anything that they need to do regarding the engine, but I got me. I I don't think it's going to be looking good for them. Although they'll probably still be fifth and sixth because they I still think they're faster than the rest of the the midfield. But I think they're probably going to find themselves in some position that they're away from the top two. Um, it's just uh, we have to quickly they can sort out their purposing the better. Um, I. I think it was Ted Kravitz that he reckons at the earliest Mercedes will be sort out their car issues come beginning of the European season, which is obviously I think it's the fourth race is Imola. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's the earliest they could potentially bring upgrades if they know what the issue is and they diagnose it, they build the parts and then test it and then get into the circuit. Imola is the earliest that they can they can do it. Yeah. Uh, it does seem that, you know, hopefully for their sake, they're able to get on top of this issue quicker than, um, you know, quicker than some people might fear. But um, I suppose the biggest problem Mercedes face whilst they're trying to find this solution is the fact that because of their success last season, being Constructors champions for the first six months of the season until the summer break, um, they're going to be down on terms of resources and, and, and time in the wind tunnel and CFD runs compared to Red Bull and Ferrari and, and practically everybody else. So anyone that has any sort of advantage over Mercedes is going to be even harder for them to overcome that because not only do they have to do a better job um, in terms of out-developing 
the uh, the car compared to the others, relatively speaking. But they have to do so with less time and resources to do it in theory. So that's another big problem. And I suppose in a way you could argue, you could use that to sort of uh, defend Ferrari. You know, people say that Ferrari development-wise over the course of the season, they can turn up with a very good car at the start of the season. But compared to Red Bull and Mercedes, they're still lacking in terms of their performance over development, developing the car throughout the season. And I think that's a fair point. But Ferrari is still going to have more time and resource available to them over the first six months of the season than Mercedes and Red Bull. So that could be huge in this championship. You might find that Mercedes may find themselves in a position where they've come up with a solution to this problem. They've been able to extract the most out of their car, but they may find themselves in the same position that they were at the start of the season relative to their rivals because they've had more time to outdevelop them than they have. So it creates a new problem later on. As I said, it's all conjecture at this point. I'm, I could be absolutely wrong and Mercedes do an incredible job. And despite all of those... Uh, hurdles that they have to jump over they're still able to find that magic silver bullet which literally puts them back to the front of the field um and that would be fun to watch Hamilton versus Leclerc versus Verstappen and chucking signs Perez and George Russell into the mix and you've got yourself a classic um I certainly hope that that happens but it's one of those situations where I feel whilst a lot of people are optimistic that Mercedes can do this because it's Mercedes you know if anyone can do it they can I just do not think it's going to be as easy as some people outside of Mercedes might think that it could be. Um, Courtney, what do you think? Um, Lee and I have already expressed comments on this. Uh, what do you feel right now as a somewhat of a Mercedes fan, what the viability is that Mercedes yeah. could find themselves um, back towards the front by the European uh, season, well, the European races? I really do believe it's a case of when and not if. I'm not saying that Mercedes are going to go back to being the top team and they're going to do it immediately. I, it's just a case. It's just a case of them figuring out the issues with the car. But at, this, at the same time, I, I said this in the in the review. You know, as as a fan of that team, I don't think the fans can complain too much if they're if they're behind this season. You know. First of all, you know, being a top team, particularly in Formula One, is not a God-given right. I, I think it's going to take years for people to understand just how exceptional that dominance by Mercedes really was. It is so, so difficult to be a leading team in Formula One, particularly with you know, how information is shared, how regulations are changed to hinder the team at the top. What they did was simply phenomenal, but it wasn't there by chance. They did that because of how unique and fantastic they were as a team. But everyone gets caught eventually. So I think there needs to be that realism that there is that chance that Mercedes might just be slower this season. Yeah. I mean, I want to be optimistic for them. I certainly have confidence in them to pull this off. Um it's just they've got to do it in a way that allows them to not only do that, but also do more than what Red Bull and Ferrari are doing to their own cars. Because obviously they you know, it might feel like Mercedes have got on top of their problems, but relatively speaking, in terms of the pecking order, they may have made no progress. Um, you know, so that that's kind of the um, that's kind of the the stalemate that they find themselves in at the moment. Um, I want to talk about what's going on um, in some of the midfield teams, more as a collective, I suppose, than just one in particular. There seems to be a lot of talk, as expected, about Huss now. 
Haas did an incredible job with their car and some people have even gone as far as saying that they may have the fourth fastest car on the grid, you know, and that's quite a statement. Although we've only seen it in one race and, you know, it was it was very quick there. We may not necessarily get that in other Grand Prix. We'll have to wait and see. But we've been hearing some uh, noises coming from a few rival teams. I think we heard from Alpine, I think Andres Seidel with McLaren. Um, and I have a quote from that I can read just for context on this one, seemed to suggest that the uh, those teams need a bit of clarification from the FIA over the nature of the relationship that Haas have with Ferrari. Now, it's no secret that Ferrari and Haas have a relatively sound technical partnership, and, and this has been you know going on since Haas joined Formula One. Um, if we cast our minds back to 2017, the Australian Grand Prix, a lot of people were complaining that Haas basically bought a 2016 Ferrari, or was it 2018? Haas bought a 2017 Ferrari car. Um, and Haas, if it wasn't for the fact that they couldn't get all four tyres on the car, which led to the famous Gunther Steiner phone call with Gene Haas on Drive to Survive, where he basically said that they looked like a, you know, that they, you know, they look like rock stars. And then they ended up looking like a bunch of fucking wankers after that, you know, and that's <laughs> probably the only time you're going to hear me swear on this pod. But for context, um, everyone remembers that meme. Um, but, the car itself, a lot of people were complaining that Haas basically just got a 2017 Ferrari and they were running that. And, you know, there were suspicions that there was more going on with their technical partnership than Ferrari, with Ferrari than what was allowed within the rules. The same noises are now coming out again. You know, Haas have obviously worked very, very hard uh, to produce a very, very good car. And they've taken advantage of the Ferrari partnership that they've been able to do so within the rules. And it's no secret that Ferrari have also seconded a lot of their personnel, technical personnel, over to Haas. I think it was Simone Resta, you know, one of the leading, former leading figures at Ferrari, um, is the technical director at Haas and has obviously done a brilliant job with his team to produce the car that they have. So, um, with all that being said, guys, are McLaren and Alpine and perhaps a few of the other mid teams, midfield teams right in that there needs to be some sort of formal clarification over the true nature of Haas's relationship with Ferrari? Or do you feel that this is just them finding anything to complain about to try and peg a team back because Haas have emerged out of nowhere from the very back of the field to the most likely challenger to Mercedes at the moment? I would have said that they may have a concern of, um, about transfer of knowledge from the seconded staff. Um, but it probably doesn't hurt for the FA to uh, clarify the situation. But I don't think there's any wrongdoing from Ferrari or Haas regarding the the relationship between the teams. I think another aspect that's probably got the midfield teams worried is um, you were saying earlier with the Mercedes about the development opportunities. Haas, if they had the full fastest car, they've got more development opportunities than the midfield because where they finished the Constructors' Championship last year. So they could outdevelop the rest of the midfield to solidify, if they are the fourth, solidify a fourth or even potentially close the gap to the front because they've got the most out of any team. So, I mean, Haas are sitting very pretty with a, a good car and the most development opportunity. So that's, that is a win for Haas all round. I mean, to add to that, Lee, as well, you know, we're in a cost cap era. So, and Haas, you know, have said that Gene Haas has invested a bit more in this team uh, for this season after what's happened with their sponsor, former sponsors owing to what was going on in Ukraine. So Haas aren't exactly in a position where they're going to be struggling to get the funding that they need compared to the other teams. They'll have the same amount or give or take. Yeah. And 
they've already got a very sound technical department because if they've been able to produce this car and as good as it seems to be and they've got more development time than their rivals all of the signs point to Haas being able to stretch their advantage over these midfield teams then you know start to fall back into it or the others catching them up so I can certainly understand why those midfield teams will feel really aggrieved, not necessarily aggrieved, but sort of flailing, if you like, hoping that there's something there that is, you know, not, you know, not within the rules that has to benefiting from this partnership with Ferrari that the FIA can peg them back on. But my, my own personal beef on this, um, and I, and I say this with respect to the teams that are complaining about this, that, that makes it different and relevant to what was going on before was that, you know, we've entered into a cost cap era. So because of that, opportunities have been found by some teams to be able to benefit from it in the way that Haas have. For example, Haas have taken on a lot of seconded staff from Ferrari in order to allow Ferrari to operate at a smaller budget to fit within the rules. And Haas can make use of a bigger budget to get some reliable, experienced personnel um, that you know that know what they're doing. You know, with relatively speaking, and the problem is, is that because of that, um, you've created a scenario where a team like Haas has been able to put themselves in the right position to benefit from that, whereas the other teams just can't really do that. So, I I don't really feel that this is going to be one of those where the FIA can step in and say, well. You know, it's just a circ. It's just an outcome of the circumstances. They can't really step in and, and pull Haas back. I mean, Courtney, what are your thoughts on this? Um, is there any chance or any sort of uh, how can I put this in the right way? Um, is there any sort of feeling that what is going on is just uh, a consequence of the circumstances that Haas have been able to benefit from and be taken opportunity from, or do you feel that um, those midfield teams are right and that Haas are just basically, you know? not playing by the rules and taking perhaps too much from Ferrari than is allowed. I guess time will tell. Um, you always get this in Formula One. If, if a team has uh, raised eyebrows, everything about that said team is going to be dissected. And at the end of the day, all these teams have got their best interests in heart. So they're bound to behave the way they are. And I'm sure it will intensify if has continued to do well. On the other hand, one of like the biggest desires from these regulation changes for, was for us to see a bunched-up grid, the smaller teams on the grid having an opportunity to compete with the bigger teams. What's happened with Haas is a prime example of that. So the fans have got what they've wanted from re- the regulation change. So from a neutral fan's perspective, it's a good thing. We want to be seeing all these teams as bunched-up as possible we're all for innovations. We're all for seeing, you know, aerodynamic genius. We love it. But we want to be seeing these cars as bunched up as possible and seeing driver talent make the difference. So I'm all for these kind of rules coming in and giving more teams the, um, the ability to compete. So long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and let's not forget as well that there are a lot of listed parts that certain teams that are engine customers from other teams um, that they can request. And McLaren have certainly benefited from that from Mercedes um, in, in the past and are probably doing so this year as well. So, you know, we can't ignore that. And I think, you know, I probably didn't explain it very well before, but I think the important thing with that sort of benefits us is that in this environment where they've taken on that seconded staff from Ferrari in the technical department, um, 
a lot of the knowledge that they would have learned from what Ferrari were doing with the 2022 car in this case, when, you know, a couple of years ago when they were first drawing it up, you don't unlearn that information. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Aston Martin or, or in this case, Racing Point when they practically bought a, a Mercedes, what was it, W10? Tracing point. Yeah, tracing point. Um, and, yeah. and stuff with the brake ducts, etc., etc. You can't just unlearn that information. No. You're going to use it. If it's within the rules, you're going to use it. And I think that's what's happening at Haas here. You know, so, yeah, there are probably some trade secrets that they would have learned from Ferrari that they've been able to carry over. But I think it's just a consequence of the regulations and the cost cap and everything else that comes with that. I don't think... Ferrari have slipped anything under the table for Huss and say, here's some blueprints um, or Huss have done a McLaren from 2008 and decided to take them for themselves. You know, I mean, it'd be quite easy. Just get someone jump over the fence at Marinello and go in and do it. But, you know, sorry, McLaren fans, but it, I think it's a bit rich um, under those circumstances. Uh, you know, that's that's my sort of uh, petty dig out of the way. Um, I, I mean... Andreas Seidel, I think he, uh, he he was asked on this and he commented on this. And I think the I've got the quote here and he basically said, everyone in the team is very busy with our own car. So I can't talk specifically about Haas and Ferrari, but it's no secret that in general, these relationships that exist within the regulations as they are established concern us. That's kind of the nice way of saying that we want the FIA to look into this and clarify to us that what Haas are doing is perfectly legal. And most likely it probably will come out. I mean, if I'm wrong on this one, then fair enough. But... It, it it's it's basically just flailing, I think, for lack of a better way of putting it. I think they're just... I mean, they were talking about it before. As soon as Kevin Magnussen set that really, really fast time in testing, all of a sudden, the noises start coming out saying, oh, I've has basically just got stuff from Ferrari that they shouldn't have done. It's in the same way that it was 2017. So I guess we'll wait and see, but... I, I think McLaren and Alpine, with all due respect, should probably just focus on improving their own cars and figure out what's going on rather than being too worried about uh, what Haas are doing because right now it it does seem that Haas are doing an incredible job so far and, and, and for their sake, I hope that continues because it's good to see. Um, let's talk about some of the teams in the other part of the field. Um, I mean, whilst we're on the subject of McLaren, actually, I should probably talk about them and their own car specifically. Uh, they had a very, very difficult race in Bahrain. So, what are your thoughts, guys? Are, are we suspecting that McLaren could have another difficult weekend at uh, Saudi Arabia? Again, with overheating issues and perhaps the engine not quite delivering what perhaps they were hoping it would or just inherent issues with the car that they're just learning day by day. What are your thoughts for them this weekend? McLaren probably seemed like the most downbeat team on the entire grid, I'd say. You know, both both of the drivers have spoken out and they really don't believe there's going to be a quick fix to this car. You know, there's a difference. If you look at Mercedes, they're, they're not happy where they're at, but they have a feeling that they're able to figure things out. It seems to be different with McLaren. Again, um, maybe throughout the season they'll figure it out, but I, I think right now they're just in a position where they're convinced this is going to be a long-term solution rather than a short-term one. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on McLaren? Do you think they're going to have another tough weekend this weekend? Yep, I completely agree they're going to have a tough weekend. Um, obviously, the overheating issues. I mean, never been to Saudi Arabia, but I hear it's quite hot. So I'm sure they have the same issues that they uh, had in Bahrain. Um, and yeah, they're all they're all saying it's gonna be a long term fix. The only redeeming hope that they may have is when they get 
well, depending on the, the weather in Australia, they may have a cooler uh, one in, in the Australian Grand Prix. And it may find they don't overheat and they may be back. And even to the European season into May, they may find the, the weather a bit more advantageous and they their overheating disappears while they fix their issues. So they, the season isn't over for McLaren, although they may disappear at hot circuits. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does seem that it could potentially be another difficult weekend for McLaren. Um, I, I certainly hope it's not. You know, it's it's very strange to see what happened in Bahrain, especially with the six Mercedes-powered cars all at the back of the field. You know, Aston Martin and Williams also having the same problem. And I, for one, am not sure if this is just going to be a track-specific thing where they struggled in Bahrain or if this is going to be reflected at other circuits because... You know, Bahrain is chosen specifically as a test circuit because it has all the characteristics that you need to test whether or not your car is fast or not and obviously test your car in difficult conditions in terms of temperature and wind and sand and everything else that comes with that to kind of get a good gauge on whether or not your car is good over the course of the season in the same way that it is with Catalonia. So the fact that they were struggling there doesn't exactly mean that all of a sudden going to come good somewhere else it's more likely that they're going to struggle somewhere else now we've got a few tracks that specifically are quite unique so that might allow them to find a level of performance that they perhaps won't have at other races and i think saudi Arabia does qualify as a potentially unique circuit in the way that it in the way that the track flows there's a lot of high speed corners and a lot of uh very fast straights at the moment it doesn't seem to be one of those circuits that mclaren are likely to do well at so we'll have to wait and see how that goes down. Um, and I certainly hope for their sake that they are able to find something short-term because I'm as surprised as anybody that McLaren was struggling as much as they were. It's certainly mm-hmm. not where you want to see drivers like Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. You want to see them fighting at the front um, where they belong. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, before we round off with our predictions for this weekend, I want to talk briefly about Aston Martin um, and mostly about Nico Hulkenberg. Now, we all agreed that Hulkenberg did seem to perform relatively well. At this point, and we're recording this on Tuesday night, we haven't heard any update regarding what's happening with Sebastian Vettel. So, owing to his situation with COVID and potential travel restrictions that he may face because he's suffering from COVID, or you know, still has it as far as we're aware, um, what are the chances, do you think, that we might see Nico Hulkenberg racing this weekend? And if he does, how do you think he's going to get on with an extra race experience under his belt or with Aston Martin, Lee? Um, I, I think it's very likely... Sebastian won't be racing this weekend. Um, you look at the other drivers that caught COVID, they were effectively out for around seven days, if not a bit more. And the governments around the world say about seven days to 10 days, depending where you are in the world as well. So you think, I think it was Friday he was confirmed with COVID. Yeah, it was quite late before so, the race week. So yeah. seven days would be this Friday mm-hmm. practice. And even if he's negative, he may not be in a state that he wants to go racing, he may not feel he's fit enough to go racing. He may be positive and it's an slam dunk. No, he's not going to be racing. Um, but I think it's very likely we'll see Nico again this weekend. Um, I made my thoughts very clear regarding these teammate and our uh, review episode. So it's, I, I think it makes sense for Aston Martin to have Nico there and lead the team in Seb's absence. 
Yeah, it's no secret that you're Lance Stroll's biggest fan, Lee. I'm certainly uh, <laughs> confident on that one. But yeah, I'm quite intrigued. I really hope Hulkenberg does well because I think he did okay under the circumstances. Um, and, you know, with more experience and more track data, he might be able to find a bit more out of that car um, and give Aston Martin a better idea of how good their car actually is because I think we, we all agree that Seb is the barometer for how good that car is. Um but right now, it doesn't seem very likely that he's going to be there this weekend. Um, what are your thoughts, Courtney? Do you do you want to see more of Hulkenberg at Saudi Arabia? I mean, if we're going to get anybody, I would like it to be Hulkenberg. So, you know, you, you look at the other drivers who could pop in. I think Hulkenberg's probably the best. And he, he's a driver that's always been solid. So, at the end of the day, if, you, if you're in a situation where you need a replacement, look no further than Hulkenberg. Why change something that isn't broken? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that one. It seems to make sense. Um, okay, so those are pretty much the main news stories, I think, to cover going into the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix weekend. Um, so we're going to do some predictions now before we round off this episode. Feel free to put your predictions in the comments if you are listening to this on YouTube. We'd love to know what you guys think is going to go down this weekend. But I'm going to go to you guys first. And um, yeah, Courtney, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Okay. Who's going to get pole position and yeah. what's going to be your top three for this weekend? Okay, I'm going to say Charles Leclerc on pole. I'm expecting another close battle between Leclerc and Verstappen. I just feel given the circumstances of the, the last race and this being more of a street style circuit, I think it's going to be another close one. But I've got a feeling that Max might edge it. So I'm going to say Verstappen first, Leclerc second, Sainz third. Interesting. And Lee, how about you? Who's going to be on pole? different to Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> so who's um, going to be on pole and who's going to be on the podium this weekend? So it may be a bit of wishful thinking for my part. Um, that's to be Nico Hulkman. No, no, of course not. Um, <laughs> although it would be great to have his podium ducks broken. Um, sure not Lance Stroll? No, it's definitely not going to be Lance Stroll. Um, I would have said Carlos signs for pole. I reckon he'll methodically he will get that car to where he wants he was very close in Bahrain um as you said to me make it a front row and so I reckon Carlos for pole and then it'll be Carlos Charles and Max for the top three yeah it's quite interesting that one um I'm going to go different route on this one because I was thinking about this because I, I said predictions on a different pod yesterday um I am going to go along those sorts of lines in terms of the top three. They never asked me who was going to be on pole. I, I'm i going to go on a limb here. I think Max Verstappen might get pole. Now, the reason why I think that is because, remember last season, it was only a few months ago when we were at Saudi, and obviously Max put together one of the greatest two-thirds of a lap we've seen. And I'm going to say two-thirds because it was two-thirds. It never wasn't a whole lap. Um, it's amazing. I've never known anyone to talk about any... I'm amazed at how many people talk about 66% of a lap or how or 80% of lap, if you like, um, as much as we do with this one. But what we saw from Max was absolutely unbelievable in that period before he had that crash. And who's to say that he might not do something similar, find that extra few tenths of a second performance in a car which arguably was second best around that circuit and find the difference when it could easily be very, very tight between Red Bull and Ferrari this weekend. So I'm going to say, I think Max might surprise us and do something special this weekend in qualifying and get on pole position. For the race itself, however, 
for all the reasons of what we learned in Bahrain in terms of the pace that they had and you know the, the downforce they were able to apply on their car and still run at a relatively high speed and not to mention the fact that they were so good on their tyres, I think it's going to be a real task for Max Verstappen to beat Charles Leclerc at Saudi. So I'm going to go with Leclerc to win, make it two out of two and I think I'm going to say Verstappen P2 and then very closely followed by signs in P3. So, um, yeah, let us know what you think, guys, about those predictions below, who you think is going to be on pole and who you think is going to be on the podium. And now, before we round this off, guys, I want to do a different one. I want to say, well, two, actually. Um, One, what's your bold prediction going to be? And second, who's going to win the midfield battle? So not necessarily the Mercedes guys. Let's, Let's assume that they will be in the top six. Um, along with the top three and Sergio Perez. Of course, we didn't mention him. Let's assume those six are fine. Who's going to win the midfield battle in terms of the driver, not necessarily the team, the driver? And who is going to be your bold prediction? Um, Lee, let's do you first. Let's go with you first on this one. Okay. The midfield, winning the midfield battle, I think Pierre Gasly. Presuming his engine doesn't fail, but Pierre Gasly. Um, the bold prediction is George Russell will finish ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Hmm. Well, that's not a bad one, actually, to be fair, because um, at some point, George is going to have to demonstrate that he can do that, you know, being yeah. hopefully the future of the Mercedes team. Um, and, and, you know, he did okay in his Mercedes debut. I think what he saw was the levels that he has to aspire to to get on Lewis's level because, you know, as great as Lewis is, it's that's a very hard task to do. Valtteri Bottas is certainly no stranger to uh, to that one. Um, Courtney, what about you? Uh-huh. Who's winning this midfield battle? And what is your bold prediction? So I think Hass are going to win the uh, midfield battle. But the bold, the bold prediction is that I think that Pierre Gasly is going to be the best of the rest. So I think it'll be Gasly just behind the Mercedes. But I think that Haas will accumulate more teams compared to Alpha Tauri. So which one of the two do you think is going to win this weekend? Do you think it's going to be Magnussen again or do you think Mick Schumacher will pick up his game? Yeah, expect a reaction from Mick. I think it'd be closer between the two drivers. Let's not forget about the tangle that Mick Schumacher had at the beginning of the race that would have made a difference for him. So, yeah, it'll be closer between the two drivers this week for sure. Yeah, I certainly hope so because I think Mick did a decent job and he was just a bit unfortunate with strategy and obviously being tagged by Ocon at the beginning. Otherwise, I thought he did rather well. And, um, you know, there's certainly time for him to work on that and get up to where K-Mag is and hopefully beyond that. That's what Haas probably want and that's what Ferrari is certainly going to want for Mick Schumacher going forward. Um, For me, yeah, I think absolutely. I'm going to... I'm going to say this weekend, I think Valtteri Bottas is going to be the king in the midfield this weekend. And I'm going to go one step further with my bold prediction. Now, I know we already talked about the top six being, you know, the Ferrari's Red Bull Mercedes, but I'm going to throw a really bold one out there. I think Valtteri Bottas, assuming there are no retirements for either one of them, and it's a straight fight this weekend, I reckon Valtteri Bottas will beat George Russell in the Alfa Romeo. Jeez. That Ooh. I thought you might like that one, Courtney. <laughs> that wouldn't that Jesus, wouldn't that create some fireworks? It certainly would do. And I think, you know, given how good this Ferrari power unit is, if the likes of Haas and Alfa Romeo are running it more to what they, you know, the more representative pace and Ferrari have been holding back a bit, 
perhaps on a circuit like Saudi Arabia, it might favour them. And I think that might give... Uh, and, and with all the porpoising issues that Mercedes might come under a, a high-speed circuit like Saudi Arabia, um, I think it might be one where Valtteri Bottas might get some joy um, in this one. And if he qualifies well, you never know. So, um, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by his performance, especially after a poor start he had in Bahrain and managed to claw his way all the way back into the top six. So, uh, yeah, it could happen. Probably probably not going to happen. You know, I've got to give George a bit more credit, but you never, never know. That's why we call it a bold prediction. Um but guys, of course, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, as I said already, do consider giving us a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you're following us on your favorite podcasting platform as well, do consider following us on there and giving us a star review. If you are on uh, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you can give us a written formal five-star review if you think that we're worthy. And if you do decide to do uh, give us that honor, we will give you a shout out in the next episode of the podcast as a thank you. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.